Amen. Let's look in Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2. We'll share a message entitled Facing the Test in Judges chapter 2. Well, it's great to see April here. One month to the day. Amen. Liver transplant. Praise the Lord. Hopefully this week she can get back to work. It'll be wonderful. <laughs> it's good to see her. And a good report on uh, Elliot. Praise God that the Lord's continuing to strengthen his body and heal him. And Lord, Lord answers prayer. God moves in a powerful way. And we can believe God for great things. And so we'll keep praying. We'll keep believing and trusting God. And we'll keep watching God do great and mighty things in our midst. Amen. Facing the test. Next week is final exams in our, our school. And I can't believe the school year is coming to an end that quickly. They're going to have to face their final exams. Amen. Face the test they got to pass in order to move on to the next grade. And uh, literally in Judges here, God is challenging the people of Israel to face the trial, face the test of getting right with him. And so in Judges chapter 2 and verse 16 Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. And yet uh, they sh uh, would not hearken unto their judges, but they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. They turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, but they did not so. When the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judges. For it repented the Lord because of their groanings by reason of them that oppressed them and vexed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they returned and corrupted themselves more than their fathers in following other gods to serve them. And to bow down unto them, they cease not from their own doings, nor from their stubborn way. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he said, because that this people has, trans has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and have not hearkened unto my voice, I also will not henceforth drive out any from before them of the nations which Joshua left, when he died, that through them I may prove Israel whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein as their fathers did keep it or not. Therefore the Lord left those nations without driving them out hastily, neither delivered he them into the hand of Joshua. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be together this morning. I pray we might be able to glean some practical principles uh, out of this chapter and just thinking about, Lord, the trials, the testings that we face uh, constantly, Lord, in our life. And, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to our God, that we might pass the test. Uh, we might be able to overcome the opposition. We might be able to experience uh, victory and abundance, Lord. And so I pray that if there's someone here this morning who's not saved, Will you touch them and, and help them to be convicted and understand that they need Christ and Christ alone in order to be saved? I pray for every believer this morning you speak to our hearts in reference to really the reality of the world in which we live. And we have to make choices every day as we face the trials, as we face the tests in life. And so help us, Lord, to walk with you 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verse is verse 22. That through them I may prove Israel, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein, as their fathers did keep it, or not. Facing the test. The testimony and history of Israel is really a testimony and history of just being plagued with disobedience and rebellion against God. It's alarming as you go in the book of Judges, as you read over and over, chapter after chapter after chapter, of uh, God raising up a judge to be the one that would bring the children of Israel out of bondage under the chastening hand of God by using other nations to come down against them or whether they would literally walk with God or rebel against God. And over and over again, when the judge is dead, the judge is off the scene, uh, they no longer would walk with God, but actually would chase after the gods of this world, the gods of the heathen. Jo Joshua would lead Israel to many great victories when they would come across the Jordan River into the promised land. But now God has said that he would not drive those nations and those enemies that were not defeated out of the land because of the rebellious heart and the rebellious spirit of the children of Israel. In Judges, Joshua and Caleb are now dead. And then there's a next generation, it says in verse 10, there's another generation after them which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And uh, there is a generation of young people uh, that do not know Christ. Oh, they might know about Christ, but they do not know Christ. And I was just watching some uh, of a preacher preaching, and he showed some film clips from some of these popular churches that people are going after. I, I would not show them in my church. They're too gross. They're too immoral in the actions and the gyrations and everything that they're doing in church, supposedly church of worship. And what are they doing? They're embracing the immorality of the world and incorporating it in the church for a, the purpose of getting a crowd, but it's not church. It is unholy and it is ungodly. And there's a generation of young people that do not know the Lord. Uh, they know about God. Maybe they were raised in the church. Maybe they uh, read the Bible or whatever, but they are not surrendering their lives to the God of heaven. Israel was the apple of God's eyes. Israel was the chosen nation that God had called out. And uh, God would move in the world and bless nations who would bless Israel and curse nations who would curse Israel. But Israel just lived their life in denial of the reality of who their God is. Children of Israel would embrace the gods of the heathen. That's what it tells us in verse 11. It says, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. How did they do evil? They served Balaam. They forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods and the gods of the people that were around about them and bowed themselves unto them and provoked the Lord to anger. Three times in this chapter, it speaks of the anger of God. Verse 12, they provoked the Lord to anger. In verse 14, it says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against them. In verse 20, it says, And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. Three times in one chapter, God speaks in reference to his anger being hot against his people, Israel. 
We live in a world that is so corrupt and a world that is living completely apart from God, but it seems like in the church of Jesus Christ, we want to embrace and go after everything that the world has to offer. God would bring his judgment on the people of Israel through nations, but then when they were in bondage and they would repent and cry out to God, God would raise up a judge, and when he raised up the judge, uh, he would deliver the people from their bondage. But the problem is the people did not have a heart for revival. And so when the judge was removed off the scene in verse 17, it says that they would go not hearken unto the judges, but they went a whoring after other gods and bowed themselves unto them. And they turned quickly out of the way which their fathers walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord, and they did not so. And so they would literally turn their back on their God. They were refused to be revived in the spirit. And the victories that they would experience would be only due because of the judge that was there. In verse 18, it says, And when the Lord raised them up judges, then the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of the enemies all the days of the judge. God did not set Israel free because of who they were, what they were doing, but rather he would set them free because he recognized the leadership and the calling of God on the judge to bring the children of Israel out of bondage. And the death of the judge, they would just go back and, and corrupt themselves more and more and more. The death of the judge was simply the door being opened for more and more corruption. If, if the message of Jesus Christ and the message of deliverance in Christ, the message of new life that is in Christ, if it is closed and not uh, given unto the people, you know what they'll do? Open up the door and go the way of the world. There must be an acknowledgement by believers in Christ, by preachers in the pulpit, that we must get ourselves right with God again, or else God is just going to leave us unto ourselves. You get what I'm thinking about preaching a message I thought about years ago. I was going to entitle the message, You Got What You Wanted, But You Lost What You Had. And I'm afraid the church in Je of Jesus Christ in America is getting what they want, but they've lost what they had. And I'm afraid that our young people are getting what they want, but they're losing what they had. Because this world will destroy everything that they are and every testimony of Christ in their life. The outcome was simply that God would not drive the enemy out so they would have to deal with the trials of facing the enemy. And God is not going to drive the enemy out, but rather God, I'm, what I'm seeing is God is allowing the enemy to be strong and causing us to have to face the trials and temptations and we have to be willing to pass the test. We need to be willing to face the test. Are you going to stand for God or are you not going to stand for God? Are you going to be right with Christ or are you going to not be right with Christ? Are you going to choose the gods of this world or are you going to choose the God of heaven? You, Each one of us have to make that choice and decision in our life. So I see, first of all, the enemy is present. Why do we have to face the test? Because the enemy is present. In uh, verse 22 is our text verse. We're going to just kind of take each point out of verse 22. He says that through them I may prove Israel. And so the enemy was present with Israel. 
And I'm going to tell you, the enemy is present with us today. Uh, the, I thought of this just the battling of the flesh. And uh, people talk about the struggles that uh, people have today. And I understand we live in a different world. As a teenager today is a different world than what being a teenager was back in the 60s when I was a teenager. I understand there is a difference. But I also understand this. There's still a God in heaven who was on the throne of grace back in the 60s, and he's on the throne of grace in 2019. And he is the Lord. He changes not. And he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so he has allowed the enemy to be ever-present, so that means we must battle the flesh. The Apostle Paul mentions this struggle in Romans chapter 7. In verse 18, Paul says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh... So we know he's not talking about the spirit that's in him. He's talking about living in his body, the fleshly body that he had. He says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. I heard a preacher the other day. I was listening on the radio. I was out making visits yesterday. And I was out on visitation. I heard a preacher talking about this. He said, it's amazing to me that I, nobody in America is bad. Nobody in America is lost. Nobody in America is a sinner. And we wonder why we're not getting people saved. You realize this, in your flesh, there is nothing that is good. Nothing. He says, that in me, I know in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. But if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And I find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after uh, the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? From the body of this death. Then he draws a conclusion in verse 25. But I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So that with the mind I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh the law of sin. And Paul realized that wait a minute. The battling in the flesh is only going to be able to be victorious. Through his faith and through his walk with Jesus Christ. Young people, I want to challenge you with this. You cannot defeat the lust of the flesh. Jesus Christ is the only means for you to be able to overcome the lust of your flesh. The, the wickedness that is in the world, the debauchery that it permeates every aspect of our society, uh, the, the social ills that are completely acceptable and pushed and imposed on you, you do not have to do it. You do not have to be a part of it. You do not have to allow your flesh to overcome you. We have developed in American society, those that are in powers to be, act like we're all a bunch of animals and we can't control ourselves. Well, I know this, greater is he that is in me than he, than he that is in this world. And I know there is a battle that we must face, and that's the battle of the flesh, and you've got to overcome it through faith in Jesus Christ. The enemy is always present. He is always there. Uh, fighting the devil. 
In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, Paul says, finally, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Paul always comes to the conclusion that you find your strength in Jesus Christ. You overcome the battle of the flesh by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. You overcome the attack of the devil by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice he doesn't say try to embrace the wiles of the devil. I was listening to some preachers the other day on the radio talking about how we need to embrace the changes in society and the, this whole thing with transgenderism and all this, that, and the other. I thought, are, are, you, are you people out of your mind? Are you out of your mind? We're talking about preachers sitting down and talking about and discussing how we ought to be passive and accepting of these types of lifestyles. No, God created Adam and Eve. Male and female created he them. There's two genders, male and female. And when you're born, you're either a male or you're either a female. And the devil wants to fight and the devil wants to attack and the devil wants to destroy everything that God has created and is good and blessed. And uh, listen, for the Christian, we have to recognize the enemy is here. He is present. Every day in your flesh, you've got to overcome the lust of the flesh. Every day in the world, you've got to face the attacks of the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter says, The devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Pastor Dewan and I were talking about this this morning, you know. The way people attack and the way things happen, you look at a lion that's out on the prey. And the lion, he's going through the bush. I love watching these wild America shows and things. And I mean, he goes, and I watch my cat, and she tries to get a bird, amen. But I mean, that lion goes through, and he's watching the herd. You know what he's watching for? He's, watch, he's watching for the weak one. He's watching for the sick one. He's watching for the one who may be removed from the herd and straying away from the direction of the herd to where he's all by himself and there's no defense for him. And then what does that lion do? He pounces on that animal and he kills that animal and destroys that animal. And as a lion, the devil goes about seeking whom he may devour. And I'm going to tell you, you get away from God. You start straying. You start getting out of church. You start refusing to read your Bible. You start disobeying what God has commanded. You know what you are? You're that wounded, that diseased, that weak animal that's removed itself from the protection of the herd. And the devil, as a roaring lion, is ready to devour you and destroy your life. He's always present. You know the interesting thing? I thought I'd watch these different shows sometimes. My wife doesn't like them. I think they're great. It doesn't matter where you are. In the jungle, there's always some predator looking for you. If it's not the devil, I mean, if it's not the lion, there's the hyena. I love those things. They get, they get chasing after a prey. I'll tell you one thing. They're laughing and carrying on. They're having a party. Amen. If the lion doesn't get you, 
The hyena will get you. If the devil doesn't get you, his demons of hell will get you. The enemy is ever present. So we have to battle the flesh. We have to fight against the wiles of the devil. We have to overcome the world. And uh, the world is this philosophy, this system in which the world uh, people function in. We have to overcome it. In 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. You better be growing in faith because the world is full of debauchery and corruption. And everything it has to say about life and about relationships and about finance and you name it. Everything that the world has to deal with is completely corrupt and contrary to the word of God. Abortion in America, it's a woman's right. But what about that precious little baby that's being killed? See, the world's philosophy is different than what the Christian's philosophy is. I have relationships. The world's idea is completely different than what the Christian has to say. Marriage. How you approach marriage, completely different than what the Christian has to say. The world says be single, just enjoy life. The world says you get married, don't have children, they're a burden, they're too, financial, too much finances on there, too many problems, you need to live your life and let live. I thought it was interesting, I heard a statistic the other day, in America this year, this year in America, the amount of people that are coming in in excess of a million, that's the ones they count, the amount of people who are coming into America illegally this year will exceed the amount of children that are born biologically in America. The world looks at it, they, they look at it completely different the way we view things. You have to overcome the world. The world is constantly attacking. It's constantly on the fight. We need to endure the corruption of government. God created government, and God created government to be a blessing. Will you read that in, in, in Romans chapter 13, that they are supposed to be designed to punish evildoers, not punish those that do good. But yet Isaiah prophesied that in the end days they will call good evil and evil good. In Proverbs chapter 28, in verse 14, it says, Happy is the man that feareth always, but he that hardeneth his heart shall fall into mischief as a roaring lion and a raging bear, so is a wicked ruler over the poor people. We have a corrupted government that is out of control, that is oppressing the people, and is violating the very principles by which we are supposed to live. Up here, it was, a, it was voted on on Friday, the Equality Act. It states in here that the Equality Act would literally um, specifically exclude religious exemptions in current federal law, thereby forcing all Christian schools and churches to affirm same-sex and transgender ideology. It just passed 
Friday in the, in the Congress, in the House of Representatives. Every Democrat in the House voted on it, except for seven Democrats who did not vote at all. What's more alarming to me is eight Republicans voted for it, and 16 of them didn't even vote at all. They don't even have the guts to vote. The, uh, Florida's Republican argued that the bill will inhibit compre, uh, competitiveness in women's sports and women's eligibility for athletic scholarships. I, recently, I just was doing some research on a message I'm planning on preaching, and I was doing some research, and it's amazing of, of the problem in the world today with transgender boys who are saying they're girls competing in girls' sports, and when they compete in girls' sports, hands down, the girls are pushed out. They can't win. I like to know where all the feminists are. Where's the feminists that say there needs to be equality of women? There is no equality when a boy says, I'm a girl, and competes against a girl. The wimp couldn't win in boys' sports, so he says, I'm a girl, and wants to go fight against a girl. says a sports team cannot treat a transgender woman differently from a woman who is not transgender on the ground that the former uh, uh, has a male body. He went on, he says, yet the reality is when putting male and female body athletes uh, together in open sport, females lose. Where's the equality? See, what they say and what they mean is two different things. The amazing thing is this, Republicans and their op uh, opponents uh, also argue that the measure would re, uh, 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 redistrict uh, individual religious freedoms and mandate special accommodations in shared facilities that would put burdens on small businesses, schools, and other communities. The amazing, amazing thing is this, Oh, um, basically, they're taking away all your religious right. You can't preach. You can't teach against transgenderism or homosexuality. And that, that's what this bill does. And uh, I guarantee you, we're not going to have uh, uh, transgender bathrooms around here. And when we teach biology, we're going to be teaching male and female. We're not going to be teaching transgenderism. I don't care what the law says. You understand that that law they just passed is unconstitutional. The First Amendment, the very first statement in the amendments that were made to our Constitution, the First Amendment starts out, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion, here it is, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You have no right to come in my church and say you can't preach on homosexuality. You have no right to come in my school and say you have to say it's all right to be a transgender. You have no right to do that. I don't care what this bill has to say. It is unconstitutional. Now, the amazing thing is this. I'm thankful that we have a Senate. Hopefully, they'll have the guts to stand up and turn this thing down. And I'm thankful for President Trump because he has already indicated he's going to veto it if it comes across his desk. And I'm going to tell you, Christians, you better start realizing the enemy is present and you better start standing up and speaking up. 
It is time for us to start fighting the battle. It is time for us to say enough is enough. It is a time for us to say, I understand you're the enemy. You think I'm the enemy, but bless God, me living a moral life is not wicked. What was the problem in the life of Israel? God would leave the, the enemy in their presence so he could prove them. And I think judgment must begin at the house of God. That's what Peter says. And I believe we need to make a decision that, wait a minute, we're going to be holy people. We're going to be Christians for what a Christian means and what it has to say. Well, the second point, I lost my sermon. Where did I put it? There it is. Amen. Notice the enemy is present, but the challenge is real. This is not something fake news. This is something that's real. He says, that through them I may prove Israel. Then he says, whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk therein. The challenge is real. You going to be a Christian? Hey, young people, let me ask you something. When you're in school and somebody starts talking about transgenderism, you're going to stand up for what's right? When you're standing in your school and somebody starts blaspheming the name of God, you're going to stand up for what's right? Hey, college kids, when you get in college and the professor starts demeaning all that you are as a Christian and starts presenting that God is not real and God is dead, are you going to stand up and say, he's alive and he lives forevermore? Hey, mom and dads, are you going to compromise who you are as a Christian because your kids go away from God? Say, that's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's a real challenge. There's the command that God gives in Luke chapter 19. God gives us responsibilities and accountability. This is a parable of the pounds. But notice there's a command in Luke chapter 9 and verse 13. It says, he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. You know what the Christian is supposed to be doing right now in the age of grace, during the church age? We're supposed to occupy till he comes. In other words, people need to know that we're here. Need to occupy till he comes. I've I just been doing some research on this whole thing with Iran and and all that stuff that's going on, I'm planning on preaching something on prophecy and what's going on there. And I'm going to tell you one thing right now. The world makes no apology for the reality of the fact they want to get rid of you and me. So what are you supposed to do as a Christian? You occupy. You stay faithful and you make the world aware of the fact that you're here. Occupy the command. Notice the conflict in verse 14 of Luke 19 says, But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man reign over us. The world is saying, We will not have Jesus Christ have be the King of kings and Lord of lords. The world is saying, We will not have Jehovah God of heaven being the king of our people and our world in which we live. There is a conflict. You will not fit in with the world when you live as a Christian. But the question is simply this, are you gonna face the challenge 
Are you going to face the test? It's a real challenge to take a stand when nobody else will take a stand. We're supposed to understand that he does not, they will not accept Christ as the one who is reigning over them. I remember years ago, Dr. Malone used to tell preacher boys, I remember, I'll never forget it. He used to say, men, he said, I'm going to tell you right now, the city that you're going to go to to preach does not want you there. He said, but the reality is they need you there. And I understand the world doesn't want you. I understand the world doesn't want to hear what you have to say. But the world needs somebody to tell them who Christ is. There is a command given to us, and there is a conflict that's real that we have to face. Notice the accounting. It says in verse 15, It came to pass when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money, and that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Why will we be standing before the judgment seat of Christ? To give an account of what we've done in our bodies as a Christian, whether it was good or whether it was bad. There is an accounting day. Then there's the condemnation because of the fact there was those who did not uh, invest and did not bring a gain. It says in verse 26, For I say unto you, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies which would not, that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. The reality is there is a day of judgment that is coming, and there will be condemnation that will come upon those who reject Jesus Christ. I think I said it last week, I don't know whether it was Sunday night or when I preached it, but I had someone ask me, what about people who have children and the rapture takes place? I want, I want you to know this, if the rapture of the trump of God was a sound right now, and your children are not saved, when the trump of God sounds, you're saved, you're going to go to heaven, but your children are going to be left behind. And your children are going to be left to face the tribulation period. Your children are going to suffer through them. We say, well, you know, I can just live my life. with my, well, my kids, they do their thing. There is a day of judgment that is coming. And the challenge is real. That you need to be real about your relationship with Jesus Christ. So the enemy is present. The challenge is real. And then in verse 23, there's victory that is sure. It says in verse 22, he says, uh, whether they will keep the way of the Lord to walk therein. And here it is, as their fathers did keep it or not. See, it's a choice. God doesn't force anybody to do anything. It's a choice. Are you going to walk with God the way those in the past have walked with God? Or are you going to literally deny and reject who Christ is? I'm, I skipped over a quote. Did I have that quote on there? Yeah, Martin Luther uh, said this, 
the God who will worship, I'm sorry, the God whom we worship is not a weak and incompetent God. He is able to break back gigantic waves of opposition and to bring low, uh, prodigious mountains of evil. The ringing testimony of Christian faith is that God is able. I want you to know this morning, Israel forgot that their God was able to give victory. And God was able to bring chastisement and judgment. But they rebelled against God when their judge died and was no longer there. So victory is sure. Notice, think of this, Abraham fulfilled promise. We don't look up all these verses, we don't have time, but Hebrews chapter 11, it speaks about the promise that God had made Abraham that he would give him a son. It would be a promised son, it would be a miraculous son, and, and Abraham enjoyed and experienced the fulfilled promise of God in his life, and Isaac was born. And I want you to know victory is sure. The Israelite could have had victory upon victory if they would just had believed what their forefathers had witnessed and what Joshua said, what Caleb had said. But no, they disobeyed. And as a result of it, they didn't enjoy the fulfilled promise. I think about Jacob's life-changing encounter in Genesis chapter 35. And you think about Jacob wrestling with the Lord all night with the angel of the Lord and thinking about the fact that his name would be changed from Jacob to Israel. Uh, his encounter with God was real. And it brought victory in his life. And listen, we need that type of an encounter with a God who is real so that we might be able to have victory. Now think about Joseph's dependence on the God's providence in Genesis 5. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 50 in verse 20. Uh, we know the brothers would be brought before Joseph in Egypt. Uh, Jacob would also be brought down to Egypt and it would be before uh, Joseph. And Joseph would acknowledge that, wait a minute, they thought for evil against him, but God meant it for good. God does have a providential will that he will fulfill in our lives. Israel missed out on it because of the fact they rejected the grace of God. I think about Moses standing against Pharaoh in Exodus chapter 12. And he was able to stand in victory because he believed what his God had said and what God had called him to do. And he stood for the Lord when he had to stand all by himself. And then I think of Joshua's great success when Joshua comes into Canaan and he crosses over the Jordan. God gives him victory. He possesses the land. He begins driving out the enemies. Joshua comes to the end of his life and the book of Judges begins with another generation which knew not God. The victories that had happened in the past they lost because they chose to embrace the gods of this world. Warren Worsby said this, Nothing paralyzes our lives like the attitude that king, things can never change. We need to remind ourselves that God can change things. Outlook determines outcomes. If we see only the problems, we will be defeated. But if we see the possibilities in the problems, 
we can have victory. And I'll tell you, I'm not, I'm not preaching a message of losing this morning. I'm preaching a message of victory. And the victory that we have is through our faith in Jesus Christ. There is no victory in hiding in the corner. There is no victory in giving up on our faith. There is no victory when saying, oh, well, that's the way 2019 is. No, the victory comes when we surrender ourselves completely to our God, realizing that he is still able to drive the enemy out of our presence. He is still able to strengthen us to face the challenges that we have in life and he is still able to give us victory upon victory upon victory. I don't like losing. I'm on the winning side, amen? And that winning side's with Jesus Christ. When you walk away from God, you're on the losing side. Because there is no victory apart from Christ. There is only disdain and suffering and sorrow and loss and death and corruption I mean to tell you there is nothing that you can enjoy in the line of victory other than through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm believing God to bring revival. I'm believing God to shake up things out here, amen? I'm believing God that he'll take and do something in our country that'll be miraculous, that'll stir up people. The liberal and the wicked and the ones full of debauchery will stand in amazement at the power of our God to overcome their wickedness. I'm praying that this stupid bill will be thrown in the trash. You say, well, what if it goes through? I still believe I can defeat that thing because I'm living over above that thing and I'm living in the light and the power of an almighty God. And I'm listen, I'm going to face the test and I'm going to believe God for the victory. Amen? Well, somebody ought to say amen. Somebody ought to get excited. I'll tell you, you better start getting excited in church. You start, better start being thrilled about being a Christian. Because I'm going to tell you one thing right now. The world is excited about what their accomplishments are. And they're excited about trying to make you be quiet. So open your mouth wide and talk loud. Amen. You know what I always like about liberals? Is they're always shouting. They're always loud. They're always in somebody's face. Well, I'll talk loud too. Amen. I'll speak up. Because, wait a minute, I know this. My God is still on the throne of heaven. He is still in control. Bible prophecy says these things are going to come to pass. Hallelujah. That means Jesus Christ is coming soon. Amen. So face the test. Don't be afraid of the test. Face the test. Overcome the trial. Notice the, 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 the challenge is real. But victory is sure when we walk with our God. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to be here this morning. God, I pray that we would not fall into the trap that the Israelites fell into, thinking that they needed the world, they needed to embrace the world, uh, they needed to accept everything that is in the world, and Lord, all it brought was loss and damage and destruction. Help us, Lord, to know this morning, to know that all we need today is Jesus. I pray if somebody's not saved, they would come and receive Christ as their Savior. They'd never be the same. 
But I pray for every believer this morning. They might be struggling today. The world is intimidating. The world can be very oppressive. But wait a minute, wait a minute. They're not greater than our God. And Lord, help us to believe you for mighty things. Help us to be able to see a move of God that we've never seen before. And bless us, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.